Welcome to The Milk Check, a podcast from T.C. Jacoby & Company, where we share market insights and analysis with dairy farmers in mind. Welcome back to The Milk Check. This month, we return to our mass balance discussion with Don Street and the rest of the trading gang. And this time, we have a couple of special guests, Steve Spencer and Vuko Karov from Fresh Agenda, an Australian-based dairy market and supply chain analysis firm with some great data about how milk production and pricing may evolve in 2023. Welcome to this discussion. Let's get started. Thank you very Thanks much. So much. For, thanks for having us in your meeting. We uh, we appreciate the opportunity to um, join the discussion and you know, it's, let's have some fun and see what it uh, see what it brings. That sounds great. So Don, why don't you go ahead and lead us off? All right, here we go. Balance update August 2022. So in spite of Ted being more accurate than I am on these projections and winning bourbon from me, I just want to say that if USDA would get the cow numbers right the first time, I'd be much more accurate. <laughs> um, but June was revised downwards to where it was flat. I had actually had a negative 0.02 um, uh, prediction, so I think that's reasonably close. And for Q2, which we finished down an average of four tenths of a percent on milk. July finally goes positive if that holds through the revision when August is announced. Again, I was two tenths of a percent over the three tenths that was actually reported. And uh, Steve and Vuka, these are all 24 state numbers, not national numbers. So I think I think I'm reasonably dialed in in spite of the revisions, which brings us to August. And I'm at this point thinking we'll be up 1% on milk, but the bottom line is, is that the cow herd will in a couple of months be higher than prior year instead of lower than prior year. Instead of being 60 or 70,000 cows below a year ago in August, when we see the numbers, we're going to be 25 to 30,000 cows below a year ago. And in September, we're going to more or less be equal. And, um, and then we start to see whether this grows or not. We're going to have more cows than we did in the prior year, which will contribute to higher milk production numbers. I've tried to recast this a little bit and to just show you the impact because June, July, we're up eight tenths, one full percent on milk per cow, but fewer cows is the offset. In August, I think we'll be a little bit higher, uh, mostly because of the poor performance of August 21. So I think we'll be up one percent on milk for August. But then I don't want to say that we're just going to continue to move higher, but these changes in milk per cow are going to be 1.2, 1.3, maybe 1.4, but we're going to be something over 1%. And then you start to add more cows. And this is a full certainty, unless we all of a sudden see a shrink in the herd that we don't anticipate because slaughter rates still seem to be lower, not higher you're going to wind up with 1.4% more milk, maybe as much as 1.8, but somewhere in that range. But it'll be a marked difference than what we've experienced so far this year. Maybe just to take a look at components, and again, this is federal order numbers, there's still really 
really strong on fat. Um, we finished 21 with almost 4% fat in the milk. And it will be over 4% now if this number holds when we finish 22. Non-fat solids are up, uh, but protein is up more. So it's just like having more milk production. If we look at what's happening on the product side, which you guys know by now I use as a proxy for demand, class one fluid milk, 2.3% down, totally consistent with the average of the last five years, uh, no real surprise there. And it will just continue to chug along at about a 2% drop every month, year over year. I think the surprising thing to me is more class two, smaller category of milk utilization. But when you look at these big uh, components of sour cream up and frozen yogurt up for the year to date, everything else is down. While ice cream is not down as much as it was earlier in the year, it's not pushing a lot of uh, milk demand as a category in any event. Production changes, cheese, and at two and a half percent year to date, I think that's pretty normal, at least in, from my expectations. I think the big news is always what's the split between American and Italian as a continuation of what we're seeing a lot more Italian or more growth in Italian, especially mozzarella. That creates more cream, um, probably uh, gives the view that there's less protein in the market. And we'll get to that when I go to the uh, mass balance model. The big question is, when does this change and when we can anticipate that it will change? Butter, Joe, as I told you, was actually positive in June. I didn't think it will happen until July on production, but it did. Still down almost 3% year to date. Nonfat down 10, 11%, whether uh, in June or the year to date no real change in that perspective. Again, going by uh, class of milk, class one down 2%, class two down 2%, cheese up two and a half. Should have meant we needed eight tenths percent more milk. We actually only had a negative four for the uh, four tenths for the quarter. I threw in another 1% for components, which gave us uh, uh, a real increase in milk solids of about six tenths of a percent. And that should have meant class four down just over 1%. Not exactly correct because skim nonfats down 10%, butter's down 3%. So maybe reasonably close on the fat side. But I think all of this is driven by the um, mix of cheese that's produced. So the more mozzarella relatively more protein gets dried and more cream certainly comes into the market to where the butter production number is more in line with this uh, projection. I didn't really do Q3. That's a bit of a transition. I really wanted to think about Q4. Again, I think class one continues at 2% down. Class two, we could argue. Uh, holiday season, maybe it will be even with la uh, last year. Cheese will continue, but the big change is we'll have positive milk production for the quarter. We'll have still an increase in components until we don't. 
so we start to look like we're going to have a lot more milk. Thus, I think we will start to see production of skim and nonfat be higher than year prior year numbers, and butter should also continue to be higher. That's the picture as I see it on August 25th. With that, I'll stop and see if we have any questions or disagreements. Hey, Don, how comfortable are you in the cow numbers continuing to grow like that? Is that it's just so steady that you're feeling real confident in that? Or is there any opportunity that we saw larger dairies coming online and we've seen some of those jumps in certain states and that that doesn't happen as we get into the fourth quarter? Right. So at this point, I only increased the cow herd by 4,000 head a month. So from a percentage standpoint, it's almost nothing. And it won't change the fact that we'll still have more cows in Q4 than we did a year ago in Q4. But I don't think it gets more bullish because the cow herd's not going to shrink um, in the net and for the rest of the year. Don, I've got a question um, about, so you, you, your uh, first half class, or the, the recent class four increase was impacted by the absorption of protein into the mozzarella category. That's likely to continue, yeah, going uh, going forward would, with... Yes, it is, yes. Yeah. So we wouldn't expect non-fat output to go up by double digits. It'll be a small increase on, on that, on that yeah. trend. Is that, yeah. I, okay. I would think that would make sense. Yeah, that's where we have it. So yeah, so, I'm, so good. I'm glad. Where, where I'm showing by this simple mass balance model, I, I yeah. run nothing as complicated as you do, Steve, I can assure mm -hmm. you. Um, <laughs> it won't be up 12%, but it could be up 4 or 5%. Yeah. Okay. yeah, so Steve, based on some of the stuff you heard, how quickly were you guys able to punch in some numbers and gain some uh, <laughs> sensitivity analysis insights for us? We've got a very similar milk production profile, Don, to what you've put up in terms of the, the go forward position. And I think, Vuko, if you could share our, it's called the DTS tools model. So it is a, if you like, a, a what if version of the tool, but just allows the modeling of scenarios based on different perspectives on growth in production, product mix by the major players, and then looking at domestic use or domestic consumption or absorption and trade. For us, the big the big issues right now with China pushing back on whole milk powder demand, New Zealand is most likely going to change its product mix or most likely is doing a change in its product mix where it can to shift more milk to butter and skim milk powder. That's to the tune of uh, estimates of between 150 and 200,000 tonnes of whole milk powder. It's not wanted by China in this season. We're going to see lower demand that's going to push back into the what you call the class four products. Then it's, you know, how does that affect the global balance and what does that look like in total scene? First observation is, whereas on the EU side, the futures looked aligned with your projections, your PFVs, yep. it's not the case on the US product. It's shown you're suggesting futures are at least fundamentally undervalued a bit. So that's number one. Can mm -hmm. then we look at, if we go with the methodology that Don employed, that milk first flows through the class system, one, two, three, and then the rest goes to four. What did you have for your projections on milk production? And then let's adjust for Don's. Yeah. So as uh, a little higher later, I think, Don, we, we, go, we go a little lighter in August. We're 0.8 
and then we're okay. We agree. And the next two, you you were even a bit more aggressive on the increase in milk than I was, except for August. And that's the type of insight, guys, that like Steve, that's really kind of what I'm hoping to gather out of this discussion is in this case, Don was illustrating a situation that says we're going to have more milk. You're we're modeling a situation that says we were going to have slightly more than even Don anticipated. And the first observation was against the fundamental projected um, values you had, our futures were already potentially slightly underpriced. I don't want to get into a absolute value discussion, but a sensitivity analysis so that we can see, can you show us now with Don's, with the adjusted numbers, taking your growth rate down slightly, what that does to our turnover chart in the top left. Back to the US, Vicar. Yeah, if we leave it on the US, that's didn't move it much, Josh. The only the move is going to come when we start to play with product mix. The only thing is, I believe what's happening to value is the European balance sheet is actually dominating the scheme of powder mm. volume. The US by itself cannot really drive it that much lower. Okay, so then that brings us to the question is is our increase in milk production enough to offset? the European decrease, and it doesn't appear so if we're making these adjustments and it's not having a dramatic. No, we haven't really blown the balance sheet apart there, Josh. Um, I mean, there's a lot of debate on Euro in Europe at the moment about you know their, their production being likely to be hampered by gas supply. Not only, you know, there's this black, there's this unknown about their feed output and what it does to milk in the last last two quarters of the year, but the, I guess the fourth quarter more so, but their feed situation is pretty dire, but it's not really showing up yet in milk production numbers. So there's a bit of a smoking gun there that might indicate with the feed that's in store might produce lower solids as we go later in their winter into their colder colder periods and probably doesn't get unveiled until early next year. But the more immediate problem is that if countries have signed up to reduce their gas utilisation does food production come into the radar for that? And, and we see a, a cut in you know, milk drying activities. The consensus is that is the case, but you know, just trying to get the intel about how much that is. But if we assume they're going to have a reduction in skim output below what we've got, and at the moment, our second half output in Europe, we're saying it's going to go down another 10% in the second half of the year, year on year. That's built into this equation here. So if that gets worse, Vuko, if you play with that a little bit and just take that down the second half just take it one notch steve this is on skim production correct yes and uh, it takes it away from cheese obviously cheese is the balancing product so let's flick to the u.s balance sheet now what's what's that sorry the u.s situation what's that done to the yeah, so you're going so below like 160 later so still got our values a little higher than futures josh in that mm. profile there but the european situation that got tighter i think the values in europe lifted then Vuko, did they yeah, so one, one point I would make, Steve, is whatever we changed in US and then the change in Europe, they sort of canceled each other out. Yeah. So on net balance, you're looking only at an impact of about 4,000 tons by the end of H2. So yeah. not really different. Yeah, so for, for the discussion, because I think we can do this you know, all day, I think the, what are the three big drivers? My, my, my takeaway is we're going to have more milk in the US. Your production forecast for the EU is continued weakness year over year down around a half a percent. Yeah. There's some vulnerability 
over the product mix in Europe going mm-hmm. into S&P because of the gas situation and mm-hmm. any reduction in their utilization of skim appears to be rel- reasonably offset by U.S. availability in that simple yeah. form. So the real concerning thing about our U.S. skim price, which will contribute to class four, is New Zealand's season beginning with skim milk powder. So that really only emphasizes that great importance on Chinese whole milk powder demand. Yeah, that, that, it all backs up from that, yeah. So no matter what, it goes back to if China's buying or not, it seems like to really drive our prices. Then one final thing that I would love to take a quick peek at, if you can, in the domestic consumption side of things is just the cheese. Oh, okay, so your, your projections for cheese are down through October and then flattening back out for cheese consumption. In the- yeah, we're pretty negative on that until, yeah, we, I mean, we're pretty flat now. I think in total terms, the recent data is slightly positive, Don. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, we didn't dwell on stocks at all, but they continue to inch up a bit on the U.S. side. I think the reason commercial disappearance has been decent lately has all been about exports because the domestic consumption has continued to be weak. Yep. So in this uh, assumption, we strip out the exports, and this is just the domestic disappearance. And we assume the U.S. trade share is in a different different element of the model, but it's that's something we, we cater for. So we, we model the exports out of the U.S. as well as their domestic use. Sorry, yeah, I was just going to ask if you could um, show us a slightly more negative um, outlook on U.S. cheese domestic consumption, how that feeds into our class three and four pricing. I would also argue that our expectations of cheese prices as we go into 2023 are at lower levels than you've got there. Mm-hmm. Those aren't your forecasted prices. Those are modeled prices. That's right. We study the drivers of price over time, um, the supply and demand variables that have the most impact on specific price series. So we look at about 21 price series globally, being, I think, in the US. So we're looking at, um, Vuko, what's, this, what's our series in the US that we might largely use? Uh, for, for cheeses, the blocks uh, scheme will be in the PSR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what we do there, Josh, is we, we model the historical relationship. We use regression analysis. Vuko's an econometrician by trade, and we develop forward-looking formulas based on those prior relationships. So we update that stuff every month. We need to find a tight fit between variables that drive value in the past, and we use that as a basis to project forward. Yeah, what's well okay, so I'm going to go with the takeaway right now, and then I think we can digest. But one thing that stood out to me is that you guys come up with, I would say, a lot of very nice projections across the total global drivers for dairy supply and demand. We have our boots on the ground in the U.S. and are quite strong in feeling some of those milk production changes. And Donna does a hell of a job in modeling out what we forecast going forward. I was a bit surprised to see one is that your base model was already suggesting that U.S. futures prices, at least for um, skim milk powder, for nonfat, were appropriately priced. Maybe you could argue underpriced a bit forward, yeah. but were appropriately priced. Our forecast for milk production was softer than yours. So that would suggest that less flows to class four and the price risk could be slightly to the upside from where futures prices are now, just from a modeling perspective. Uh, Additionally, your cheese demand, I'm really curious to ask the cheese guys in our group, 
Your cheese forecast for domestic consumption, do we think that they nailed it or would we bet to one side of the equation or the other from where they were? I actually think their original projections are even a tad low. The reason I do is because I think where they have cheese price in the U.S. in the first half next year in particular, and even through the remainder of this year, too high. I don't think we're going to be over $2. Who can pick up back to base? Yeah, there you that's go. What we... So I think you're going to end up having a little bit better cheese consumption, especially in the first half of next year, primarily because you're going to have lower cheese prices. Cheese prices at $2. My expectation is we're closer to $180, unless we end up exporting a massive amount of cheese in the next six months. Now, that's just for clarity, in order to get to $180, something has to change. Either less cheese is consumed or more milk is produced or some other variable, because that isn't a, that they didn't plug that price forecast. So, and that's a product. Right. Of I, I, I get it, Josh. It, my yeah. argument would be is we're going to be making more American cheese. Ah, okay. We've got yeah. a new plant coming online. Everybody knows that plant's coming online. That's going to keep prices suppressed. So we're going to be in the 180 region in cheese is my opinion. We already have excess inventories of cheese right now. The only thing I don't know is how much we're going to export. If we end up exporting a ton of cheddar, and by a ton of cheddar, I mean more than we already are, and we're already up year over year, that's the only way I can imagine us over $2. So if you say the product mix within cheese promotes more cheddar, which drives the cheese price lower... Doesn't that consume more cheese at a lower price? Should we be taking that demand forecast higher? That's exactly where I'm going, Josh. That's why domestic consumption, I think, is higher, is because the lower cheese price leads to higher domestic consumption. Probably leads to higher exports, too. But I think we have the cheese to do it. As a final exercise, can we pump that up a percent? And what did that do to our pricing over here? It didn't change pricing. How do you change Uh, pricing? What would cause that to happen? As a modeling framework, when we look historically, cheese has always been a function of skimmed powder and butter in the U.S., with the only exception is, yeah, fat and protein, exactly, Steve. And uh, the only thing that changed that was COVID, where that relationship separated. And I think it's happening currently, like I saw overnight, cheese blocks are 38, 50 on uh, CME. The gap between class four and class three looks to be persistent for the time being. So that sort of leads me to believe either cheese has to correct upwards or butter needs to crash. Otherwise, skimmed powder cannot really move much because it's exposed to the European balance sheet. I okay. just had a, had a question there, Vuko. Because we've got a slightly elevated non-fat forward mm. value in our projections, that's lifting that cheese value. Exactly. Right? I, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we're thinking the, the market is underplaying the tightness in the global market on, on skimmed powder and non-fat? Yeah, and we're probably exposed back to this European milk growth. I think this is where it's at, because you could be looking half a percentage point on this up or down, and on such a large milk pool of 150 billion liters plus, that's that's a lot of milk. And yeah, I think so the could, market is could, really uncertain on that. So the European, we don't see the European value flexing much, but we think the tightness leaves more room for non-fat in the US to, you know, if there's greater greater scope in the in the export market because Europeans won't be there and New Zealand will you know be head to head in that respect. But there's probably undervaluing the the impact of the tightness in global availability of skim milk powder, we think. And that's that's impacting that cheese value. So it's though I agree with Ted, price action in the short term looks at 
supply and demand and balance sheets and stocks of cheese in the US. And that sentiment is, is weaker than what the forward value indicates. You know, bedrock fundamentals are still suggesting cheese is undervalued based on fat and protein. One of the arguments that I would make, and this would push back on the historical correlation between cheese and butter and powder, is that where milk production is increasing in the U.S., and where cheese capacity is growing, you're not going to have the flexibility to move that milk away from cheese into powder, even though the class four price is going to be, I think, three to four dollars a hundredweight higher for the foreseeable future. I think you're going to deal with the situation where you could, you got to think of it as the milk is stuck in certain capacities because of where the new plants are being built, those contracts to supply milk to those new plants, and the ability to move that milk between a class three and a class four plant. Yep, agree. And as a result of that, I think you're going to get this break in that correlation that leads to a lower cheese price. And it's not, it doesn't fully correlate with natural supply and demand because cheese price in the U.S. is determined by the cheddar market. And so it can it can ignore the mozzarella market when it does that. Yep. And one way we can actually show that is by looking at this chart. That's why you don't see the price move as much when you change something, you know, as you as domestic cheese demand, because you still have fat and protein in the in the background driving it. Mm-hmm. I think Ted makes a really good point, Vuka, that we, we should be thinking about that, the disconnect we're seeing now, the inflexibility in capacity. I mean, it really is, could only really happen in the in the West, Ted, where there's probably a bit more flex. And then they'd look at, they look at a, 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 a you know, heavily stocked cheese market in the center. So do they make cheese to ship East or do they actually, you know, shift a bit of milk to class four? That's where there's a bit more flex. Well, and that's exactly it, Steve, is because the cost of freight has gone up considerably. It's more expensive to move milk around. You're seeing growth in milk production in the upper Midwest, which is class three dominated. The other place where I think you're gonna see milk production growth, especially in the next six to 12 months is going to be in Texas. But in that particular situation, all the cheese plants have contractual obligations where you can't pull the milk away from those cheese plants. So it will stay in class three. And you've got new production capacity, which is class three. So the question becomes, if you're going to increase class four, it's because you're going to increase it in California. Hmm. That's a difficult discussion right now. because The cost of production in California is going through the roof, but it's a class four dominated market. And so they might be able to afford it. Interesting. Yeah, Diego, so you don't have to worry about milk production in the U.S. anymore. (laughs) Just California, (laughs) New Zealand, and Europe. (laughs) That's it. We've been going for a while, Jake. Do you have a couple of graphs you want to show us? or uh... I can make this five minutes long, and I'll relate it to everything. So I'm going to ask a whole bunch of questions because, frankly, I'm not smart enough to answer them. But really tying into everything, I'm going to make the case for a neutral to bullish class four and a neutral to bearish class three. And really I'll I'll just say cheese. Let's hop over to the products individually. So we have cheese really on trend, more or less. We have butter way below trend. We haven't gotten the the dry products yet, but we have non-fat way below trend. So let's just see what's actually going on with the pricing. I'm just gonna sum this up in the form of a class three, class four spread. We are really at pretty extreme levels on this class three, class four spread. And I would say that spread's gonna widen out even more. We're on pricing support in class three. And you have to keep in mind that this pricing support is looking at the futures. And if we go look at 
the class three futures versus the CME spot market, something's not adding up here. We've seen a pretty strong divergence in the class three futures versus the theoretical class three price based on the CME spot market. Starting about a month ago now, we have not seen the carry from the spot market to the fourth future month be this big since COVID, basically, since since the, the pandemic hit. It's a pretty abnormal number. So I want to take one step back and reaffirm what I, I said is I'm going to make a bearish cheese, bullish class four case here, even though what our friends at Fresh Agenda said is really this shouldn't be possible based on our, and, and I don't want to misquote them, but but based on historical correlation. And so if I'm going to make this case, I basically would need to say that there's going to be something that breaks this historical correlation that we've seen. I think that a potential answer in why these correlations could be broken is just an economic event we haven't really seen in a long time. And that would be basically asymmetric recession, where we have recessions happening around the world, but at very different levels, right? Our our 2008 recession really turned into a US-led, but ultimately global recession. And we've heard recession talked about a lot lately. And I'm just curious, I'm truly asking the question of what if the U.S. doesn't experience a recession or experiences a very, very minor recession, but the rest of the world does experience a recession. What is that going to do to our dairy prices here? I think it turns it on its head. And I'm going to show a few charts. So this is corporate profits after tax in the U.S. They are insane, just insane. So just prior to the recession, we had corporate profits after tax of $2 trillion. Last quarter, it was three. I'm no math wizard, but corporate profits going up literally 50% in two years seems like a lot to me. So things are kind of looking okay here. There's this massive battle going on in the equity markets. It's kind of a game of chicken. I shouldn't even call it a battle between the Federal Reserve and equities. And equities are more or less guessing. They're betting, if you will, that I think the Fed is probably getting close to done to raising rates, or they're going to slow down dramatically. And we can see that in equity charts. This is a, a combination of new highs and lows. Basically, there are more new lows made every single week of 2022 up until about two weeks ago. We had our first week in the year where we had more new highs made than new lows made. We have another one where kind of seasonally, things should be trending higher here. The knife has seemed to have stopped falling on the equity side. So things are looking okay in the US. I could throw a lot more charts up, but but just it does not seem like we're going to have this dramatic blowout of the economy on the US side. Now you look elsewhere and things aren't so nice. UK inflation is expected to pass 18%. China is having property issues and they're cutting their rates. There's really kind of a a tale of of two different worlds here going on. So I, I can't help but say we really need to think about this. What if there's more localized recessions? This isn't a 2008. What is that going to do to our commodity prices? The other factor here in in really a manifestation of these tale of two cities is going to be in the strength of the currency, right? The the U.S. dollar is still just killing, killing it. 
I mean, really, it's it's super impressive. Here it is versus the euro. The euro has just fallen below one U.S. dollar. This is a, a you know pretty stark chart for any euro-denominated uh, buyer. Same thing with the Chinese currency. We've had this breakout that happened. The dollar broke out versus the one. So so the dollar has really gained strength versus China. It really, really begs the question of what the heck would happen. I don't know. As I said, I'm going to kind of be asking questions here, but it could have some material impact in breaking these historically assumed correlations that I think we might just honestly take for granted at this point. If we have a relatively strong U.S. to the world for a sustained period of time, that'll be my TED talk unless there's some things in particular that people want to see. I just wanted to kind of ask the questions and and get people thinking outside maybe what they've been used to for the better part of a decade here. Any requests out there? Jake, we talked about this in the office yesterday, that butter stocks chart that you pulled up. Can you pull up relative pricing because we compared it to, what was it, 2014, I believe? Yeah. Can you pull up what pricing looked like then? Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. So we are way off trend in butter right now, similar to how we were in 2014. And you'll notice this below trend nature continued all the way through 2015. It was volatile in that period. We made some highs in 2014. And then at the end of 2014, we viciously came off those highs, but we weren't right back up. It was volatile to say the least. So if we see similar volatility, um, this go around time will tell. But you do have to see some similarity between what what went on. We went from high stocks to low stocks, and and we just did the same between really 2021 and 2022. Anything else? All right, that's all I had. Okay, sounds good. Well, Steve Vuko, really appreciate you guys joining us. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Ted. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you, guys. welcome your participation in the milk check. If you have comments to share or questions you want answered, send an email to podcast at jacoby.com. Our theme music is composed and performed by Phil Keggy. The milk check is a production of TC Jacoby and Company.